Yeah, you sweet summer child. Bold prediction. Thank you. That's all you can really say. You can't say a lot. <laughs> did you just say sweet summer child? Yes, I did say sweet summer child. Okay, I'm worried now. What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films. And to change that and make my friends happy, and also potentially provide a new perspective on these films, I'm on a quest to change that. However, I am not on this quest alone. This week, I am joined by my best friend, who still hasn't listened to a single episode of the show, even though by the time this is being recorded, three of them are out. Dylan Black. Dylan, how's it going? Oh, you know, I'm living life, avoiding my best friend's work, and just happy to be here. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you're in school, so you have things going on. True, I do. So this week, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now, a couple things about this film that you need to know. One, it is Dylan's favorite film. This much I do know. Two, when I told him I hadn't seen the film back in December, he threatened to come to London, kill me, resurrect me, and then slap me, and then fly back home if he was not the guest. So, Dylan, hi. <laughs> I will never go back on those words. Especially now that you've seen the film, I don't have to do it. True, true. And I've seen half the film. Don't worry, I will finish it. I've seen half the film so far. But yeah, you were very surprised that I hadn't seen this one, though. Particularly because I believe I've talked about it a lot. It is something that quotes from this movie are part of references that I make constantly. I'm always talking about different scenes from this. I've seen it probably over 20 times in my life, and I will continue to watch it again if I get opportunities to, simply because it's just that good. Fair enough. So, yeah, when did you first see it? Do you remember when you first saw it? Because obviously yes, you've seen this a lot. I do. So my mother had gone on a trip with some friends and left my dad to take care of myself and my brothers. And... We were all fairly young. I blink. I was six or seven. Okay. And he was like, I want them to see this movie. Because little known fact about my dad, he really liked comedies. In particular, British comedies. So he popped it in. And when my mom got back from her night out with her friends, we were going crazy just quoting the movie over and over and over again talking about it I just we loved it so much and of course she was mad at him because it's a you know it's monty python they're definitely meant for a more adult audience but we just found it so good that they just insisted them being my brothers and i insisted we would just we had to watch this again and we've watched it so many different times. Whenever we were bored and trying to decide on a movie, we couldn't come to agreement. We we're like, why don't we just watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail? 
That was always our go-to when we couldn't come up with a decision. It was either that or Lord of the Rings. Fair enough. I mean, so... there are four of you, so I feel like that happened a lot. <laughs> it did. <laughs> when you have three brothers, including yourself, and you all want to watch different things, it is always a constant fight for uh, what you want. And it was something we could all collectively agree on. So There you go. So, for your information as well as the listeners what i did and did not know before this film started is what i knew i knew that it was dylan's favorite film i knew that it was like sketch comedy style kind of thing like i didn't really know but like i had heard that like monty python was famous for doing smaller sketches and then they had some like this one and life of brian if i remember the name correctly that are like longer features. Yeah. So what Monty Python was mostly known for was their Monty Python's Flying Circus, which was a British sketch comedy TV series that ran before Monty Python Holy Grail was made. It started in the late 60s and then ended in the mid 70s, right before they made Monty Python the Holy Grail. And okay. so. That was their foundation for their comedy. And so that's from where they began to develop their films. It could be argued, and I would make this argument, that uh, a lot of their comedy and how they did sketch comedy particularly influenced things such as Saturday Night Live. Because Saturday Night Live came out in the 70s after The Flying Circus ended, and it was another sketch comedy show. So I'm just going to say... Monty Python did it first. Fair enough. I don't know about the history of sketch comedy on television. Shout out to all you amazing Brits out there. Monty Python is a British company. They did it first. Woo. So I knew that. I had known what the Holy Grail is. Like I learned about it because while I was working on getting this podcast up and running, I did some test episodes, which listeners, you can get access to if you go to patreon.com. But more on that later. But... So I did a bunch of test episodes with Brad and he helped me out with it. And because I had already seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, I knew that I would never cover Indiana Jones films on the podcast. And so we just did them with that. And so I think it's the third one where they go after the Holy Grail It is, is like what they're looking for. And so I learned what the Holy Grail was when I was doing that. <laughs> Only reason I know what the Holy Grail is. Yeah. <laughs> So I also know that there is a Black Knight scene where he loses all of his limbs but keeps fighting. I do know this because I, this happened and we watched this scene in band class many times with Mr. Pitt. And I also feel like after I watched this, a lot more references of what we were talking about growing up are about to make sense. Uh-huh. Small fun fact. The Black Knight was played by John Cleese, who played Lancelot in the movie. Because they didn't have a large enough budget, so they play a lot of the same characters. I do know that. I do know that, yeah, they double up on characters a lot. So they do. Like, one guy will play like six or seven roles in the film. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's lovely. I love that. I mean, that's kind of how theater works. Exactly. A lot of times you have people playing multiple parts. So, yeah, it makes sense. Like, yeah, they had like less than a 300,000 pound budget. So they had to cut a lot of corners. <laughs> more on that later <laughs> yeah no that's impressive 
So why don't we jump into the film? You know, we're a good, I think, like six minutes into this recording and haven't. No, we're farther in that, I think. and haven't talked about this film. Here we go. So it starts with the credits, actually. And they roll in. There's some ominous music. It's like low brass and strings, timpani. You hear some bells. It doesn't give me a good feeling right off the bat that the quest or whatever will go well. But it also makes me think that, oh, there are just going to be a lot of hijinks on the way. Nothing's going to be straightforward. And then the music falls off very suddenly. And you just see on the screen, we apologize for the fault in the subtitles. The responsible have been sacked. Yeah. I was like, cool. <laughs> what was the... Di- was it the different language at the bottom? So... Funny enough, uh, the subtitles were on Swedish, if I remember correctly. Okay, so that wasn't just on my end. Correct. Okay, those cool. were actually input into the movie as part of the comedy. Is that they're in Swedish subtitles, and if I remember correctly, it goes into a bunch of weird conversations about a guy whose sister was bit by a moose. I have no idea if that's. True. If anyone out there listening speaks Swedish or reads Swedish, let us know how true that is. <laughs> no, it's it's less of asking the listeners and more of pointing out the fact that it was like kind of Swedish, but it was also really poorly spelled English. Ah, wonderful. And like <laughs> you would see like in the subtitles as like the credits are rolling, my sister was bit by a moose. And it's like, no, seriously, like she was walking down this river one day and then it cut off at that point. And that's when they say, you know, we're apologized to people who are responsible that subtitles have been sacked. Fair enough. Something along those lines. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. Yeah, fair enough. So also one thing that I'm going to say before we continue is that this is a movie that feels like it's going to be very hard to describe. I will do my absolute best to describe it. My best recommendation, if you haven't seen it yet, pause this episode, go watch the film come back to this episode and things will make a lot more sense so continuing on so we continue with our lovely credits rolling through and then again the music drops off and we see we apologize again for the fault in subtitles those responsible for sacking the people who have just been sacked have been sacked (laughs) lovely no notes credits are back up they're running music falls off again Now we have a long one. The directors of the firm hired to continue the credits after the other people had been sacked wish to be known that they have just been sacked. The credits have been completed in an entirely different style at a great expense and at the last minute. And then we are hit with bright, flashing, neon colors and like the style of music which is much more upbeat. It's a lot more dancing, cheering, hollering, very, very jolly music. This is the introduction to our film. Another thing to note is that spread throughout those energetic credits are multiple moose references, either in first or last names of the people in the credits or their roles, such as moose gaffer, moose nose polisher or wiper or something like that. So more moose themes spread throughout for the fun of it. (laughs) So we open up, it's England 932 AD. We open up on a foggy landscape. There's a stick and a person on top, and you hear a horse coming in from the distance. Scratch that. Not a horse. It's two people galloping and making horse noises. 
it's a knight and his errand boy. And the errand boy is just holding the backpack and holding everything. And they come across a castle. And as they go to the castle, it's a bit more clear. And you can see that the knight is galloping and the helper, like his errand boy, is clapping with coconuts. Where did they get coconuts? They found them. Sure, we get there. But that was my question right there was where did they get the coconuts? <laughs> oh, as in like like background <laughs> behind that or? Yeah, so like as I was taking the notes, right? Because I take them in order as I'm watching the film. Yeah. I hit pause, I take a note, and then I'll hit play uh-huh. again. So I literally wrote, he's clapping coconuts. And I was like, how does he already have coconuts? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And so they reach up to the wall, and we learn that our knight is Arthur, the son of Uther Pendragon from Camelot. He's the king of Britain, defeater of the Saxon, sovereign of all of England. And his trusty servant, was it Papsy? Patsy? Patsy. Patsy. Lovely. So they are in search of knights to join Arthur at Camelot to join the knights of the round table. And he wishes to speak to the lord and master. The guy on the castle wall points out that they aren't on a horse. I like this guard already. He points out the obvious. Let's go. You've got two coconuts and you're banging them together. That's exactly what he says. So Arthur is like, yeah, so what's the point? We still traveled all of this way. Can we just talk to your master? I love that the guard on the tower doesn't care. And just wants to know where they got the coconuts. Thank you. He's asking questions that I'm already asking. I like this guard. But they found them. They did find them. Arthur says that they found them. And the guard says that that's not possible. The coconuts are tropical and that they are in a temperate zone. And Arthur claps back with something along the lines of the swallow may fly south with the sun. Why can't like we get coconuts up here? Kind of deal. <laughs> Are you suggesting coconuts migrate? <laughs> Dylan knows this movie better than I do, so <laughs> this just might be Dylan telling his quotes that happen in the film when they pop up. Like, I don't even need to provide commentary. I could just use the quotes to describe or answer your question. <laughs> it's really annoying, because then it makes me feel like they're dumb questions. <laughs> they're not. There's no such thing as dumb questions. Everyone should know. No, that. that's 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 a complete lie. There are definitely things like dumb questions. I disagree. Anyway, so the guard is just really fixated on coconuts migrating, and he's like, "No, no, no. This is not an issue of you know." Can a swallow carry a coconut? It doesn't matter about where he grips it. It just is a weight issue. It's a five-ounce bird. It can't carry a one-pound coconut. He's very sound, very logical. I like the way that he thinks. It could have been an African swallow. No, it couldn't. Because African swallows don't migrate. This is said by a second guard who comes in. And he's like, yep, I agree with the first guard. And I just like that they just cared more about this. And some other fun facts that we hear is that, you know, the guard is just still stuck on the bird. And Arthur just wants to get into the castle. And he's like, can you just go tell your master I'm here? The guard's like, I don't care. I'm still on this bird matter. Like, in order to maintain the speed velocity, a swallow needs to beat its wings 43 times every second. And he just keeps going with bird packs. And it's lovely. 
for uh, those of you who ever want to learn more about Swallows, <laughs> this is the movie for you. <laughs> you know what? At least this first scene. If you want to learn more about Swallows, go watch this scene. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, yes, another guard shows up. He agrees with the first one. Arthur's done, and he just goes away. And these guards continue their conversation about two swallows and African swallows and whatnot. And they also continue saying, two swallows could maybe carry one coconut with a string attached, and that's where we jump to the next scene. And I was just like, I love this. If this is the whole movie, I'm here for it. Debating the mechanical merits of two swallows working together to carry a tropical fruit to a temperate zone. It's important questions that need to be answered. Uh Uh-huh. Only science can do so. And I don't know if since 932 AD, anyone has tried to figure it out. Certainly, someone's probably tried at some point, particularly after this movie came out. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So anyway, back to the film. So then we cut to dead people on a cart. Cool. And you hear the like town crier saying bring out your dead at least i thought he was the town crier we learned very quickly like he's just a businessman but so he's just calling out bring out your dead it's a very muddy and sick place peasants part of town and one guy brings out his dead finds out it's nine pence to toss the dead body under the cart like i have to pay to get rid of death i think it's because they it was something related or something like that it did look like a plague so it didn't surprise me but also it was just kind of funny that it was like hi this guy's dead here's money i think it's also just making fun of the really crappy conditions of medieval life you know streets were disgusting people were dumping waste out in out in the roads disease was common you know the very much is depicted in a very poor village. And so, and I'm sure you'll get to it at, at the end of this scene. It's made very clear that that's what they're making fun of. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. We'll get to that at the end of the scene. So, mm-hmm. but back to the scene. So it's nine pence to get rid of the dead guy. But the guy on the shoulder isn't dead. The dead crier, as I have decided to call him, says that he can't take him because he's not dead. And the guy who's trying to sell off this dead man is like, he's old, he'll be dead soon, he's very old. And then they're just going back and forth. I feel happy. (laughs) Exactly. They're just going back and forth, and the guy holding the old man who's dying is like, you'll be stone dead in a moment. (laughs) I think I'll go for a walk. (laughs) That was one of my favorite ones on the back and forth that they had. The dead crier says that he can't take him because it's against regulation. First guy's like, yeah, just wait a couple minutes. The dead crier's like, no, I can't. I got to go to another place. They lost nine. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, they lost nine. Okay, lovely. Here we go. It's just, it's plague. People be dying. Or they're just all just dying because it's bad. Either way, there are nine people dead at the MacArthur's house or whatever the Robinson's. name was. Sure, Robinson's house. You know what? I wasn't that far off. So the guy on the shoulder just keeps interjecting, like we said. And the first guy just looks at the dead crier and is like, is there anything that you can do? The dead crier, I do appreciate this, 
checked if the coast was clear, and then bashes the old guy on the head, killing him instantly. Easy. Problem solved. Effective. Efficient. Straightforward. To the point. He's a businessman. <laughs> he needs the nine pence. And the first guy couldn't wait until Thursday, which was the next round. And then in comes Art and Pap- Patsy. So the first guy who was selling off the dead body was like, who is this? And the dead crier says, it must be a king because he doesn't have shit all over him. Exactly. I think that's important to note is that is how he's a king. He's not covered in shit. That is that is the only way to know that he is a king. Only reason. Then you see two people in a field and you have Art trotting along in the background. And Art sees some old person pulling a cart and calls out old woman. Turns out it's a man. Man! <laughs> Art asks, who lives in the castle up ahead? The old man's like, like I'm 37, I'm not old. It's like, Art's like, well, I couldn't just call you Arthur. Sorry, I keep saying Art because that's what I have written in my notes because I shorten everything. Arthur is like, hey, so I couldn't just call you a man. And the old man is like, well, you could have called me Dennis. He's so moody. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis is in such a mood. (laughs) Bro's got all sorts of opinions, man. Oh, we'll get to his opinions. This next scene is just, oh. (laughs) Again, I will do my best to describe it. However, just go watch this film. It's the biggest recommendation I have before listening to the rest of this episode because it gets harder and harder to explain some of these scenes. I could just quote it word for word. Would would that help? (laughs) No, that probably wouldn't help because copyright. Ah, yeah. That's right. (laughs) I'm trying not to get fined before I have money to be fined for. (laughs) As stated in the film Monty Python the Holy Grail by the Monty Python group, at this moment it states I I I can I can quotation I could do proper uh formatted quotations in audio form for you if you would like. No, I'm good. This scares me though. I'm terrified. They, They can't they can't claim copyright if I'm quoting it as part of a form of educational material and properly giving the due diligence to the actual creators. I appreciate that, except one issue in this scenario. And what is that? This is an educational material. (laughs) Anyway, so Dennis is just like, look, Arthur, you didn't have to immediately treat me as an inferior. And Arthur's like, but I'm the king. And Dennis is like, oh, king, very nice. In a uh, that came out very weird. Um, Dennis is like, "Oh, King, very nice." In the most perfect level of sarcasm, yeah. ever. So we cut off, and we are introduced to. I'm gonna call her the filthy woman or the filthy lady. I don't know. We never get a name. She's rolling around in the mud. She comes in saying that there's lovely filth down here. To Dennis, I think they're collecting peat. Or organic materials to help with house construction. Yeah, no, like, why they're doing it makes complete sense. I didn't bat an eye that they were doing it. I just never got a name, and I need some way to describe her. I mean, you can't just call her woman. Exactly. I can't just call someone woman. I have to call her filthy woman. So, Arthur introduces himself, and the woman is confused on who the Britons are. Arthur's like, it's all of us. I am your king. 
And the filthy woman is like, I didn't know that there was a king. I just thought there was an anomalous collective. And Dennis is like, no, no, no. We're living in a dictatorship. And a self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes are exploited. Yep. So Arthur is just fed up, asks again, who lives in the castle that is farther along? And then is told that they have no lord. And Arthur says, I told you we're in a narco-syndalistic commune. Did I get that right? Syndicalist. Syndicalist. There we go. As in like a syn- syndicate. Yeah, yeah, commune. Decisions of the officer are to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. That's what it is. So <laughs> Arthur is getting continuously more and more angry. And he orders Dennis to be quiet. And Arthur then gets angry at the filthy woman. And he's like, you don't elect a king. He became a king for getting the sword from the lady in the lake. And that by divine providence showed that Arthur was meant to carry Excalibur, signifying that he was the king. Now, Dennis brings up a fantastic point, though. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. He's not wrong. And (laughs) he goes into his rhetoric where supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses not a farcical aquatic ceremony he's not wrong he's very right (laughs) as he said and i quote word for word if i went around saying i was an emperor just because some moistened bint had loved a scimitar at me they put me away (laughs) yeah honestly he's not wrong like imagine it in today's world right You showed up, you were like, guys, I got a shiny sword, I'm the king. No one's going to take you seriously, they're going to lock you up. Now, if we want to get controversial, we could go into the religious rhetoric of today and talk about this in that kind of form, but I'm not here to teach philosophy, I'm here to talk about a silly movie. Yes. I mean, we do get serious from time to time, but I feel like these episodes... We just had Shawshank Redemption. That was a dark movie. A lot happened. This is very much a palate cleanser of it was dark. A lot of hijinks ensue. (laughs) This scene also gave me probably one of my favorite quotes that I also quote a lot. The, I didn't vote for you. That's what you, oh. Mm -hmm. Because when he says, I am your king. And then the woman goes, well, I didn't vote for you. Yeah, no, I've heard you say that multiple times. I did hear the quote in the movie. I don't do the voice. I normally just go, I didn't vote for you. Okay, that makes so much more Mm -hmm. sense now. One of the many, many quotes I've used has now been put into context. Okay. So now that I'm just having an epiphany of things are making sense in just my life, we might as well take a break and have a quick intermission, and then we will be right back with more Monty Python. Hello, and welcome to the intermission. I hope you all are enjoying this episode of Post Finale, no matter how off the rails it might be, but that's just what happens when two best friends get together. Now, I'll keep this short and quick. As always, if you are enjoying the show, please support us on social media. Follow us on at PostFinalePod on all the social medias and leave a review. That helps a lot. It'll help grow the show and I would really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who has already done this and will do this in the future. 
Secondly, if you want more content, if you want bonus audio, if you want access to my notes, if you want to help me choose what I will be watching in the future, you can do all of that by joining the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash postfinale and you can pick whatever tier you like and you get access to loads of different types of bonus content. Any of the money that is made from the Patreon is going directly back into the show. It'll help pay for better microphones, better online recording softwares, etc, etc. And I thank anyone that will do this in the future. Now, one more quick announcement before we get back to the show. I want to give a huge shout out to our editor, Pranav Nair. He has just committed to go to the Berkeley School of Music in the fall. Pranav, I'm super proud of you, and I can't wait to see where you will go. And I'm so thankful that you are part of this podcast as well. Everyone, let's give a huge shout out to Pranav on social media or wherever you may be listening. He's done a great job. And I wouldn't be able to make this podcast as well without him. And now, back to the show. And we are back. So, Arthur is getting more and more annoyed at Dennis. And Dennis just keeps going, keeps going. Arthur grabs Dennis and tells him to shut up. Dennis is just saying it's violence inherent to the system. And then Arthur is just so fed up and says bloody peasant. And Dennis is thrilled. And he's like, this is what I meant. You see what I meant? Help, help. I'm being repressed. (laughs) So good. So good. So I made a prediction at this point because I felt like, you know, we're through two scenes. I don't fully know what's going on. But at this point, we're already like a good 11 minutes into the film. And I was like, I don't have much of the film left to go. So I'm going to make a prediction now. We'll see how much of it happens. This film feels a bit different than other films that I have watched. Well, that's one being Shawshank Redemption and films that I'll watch in the future where you know, because it's a bit more broken up. It's a very creative way, but it's not the more common way of how you make movies. Weren't you going to do The Dark Knight? Yeah, that was also a bonus episode. Mm. That all turned into bonus episodes because I went through some... So I was going to release this podcast for anyone listening and is curious. We're here now. I was going to release this a while ago, but then what happened was I got some advice of like, you know, figure out how it goes. And so I did Batman Begins. And then as I was listening back and working on editing it, I realized like things that I could change and things that I could make better. So then I ended up using the rest of that trilogy and then the Indiana Jones movies that I hadn't seen yet as practice episodes. and. If anyone signs up for the Patreon at a certain level tier, I can't remember off the top of my head, you get access to all of that. So before any of these episodes became live, and if you want to hear the very early stages of what putting together this podcast was like, then go on over there. They're interesting episodes and interesting conversations have happened. So anyway, my prediction for this one. So... My prediction was it's going to be a lot of short scenes of Arthur's travels. He will eventually get to the Holy Grail on accident. Like he might find his, he might be on his quest to find his knights 
and then he stumbles upon this by accident or like that's he gets the quest in some form of accident he ends up on the quest for the holy grail he will find it at the end of the movie i think that he will find it but many hijinks will ensue that make it very difficult for him to find Arthur just seems like a very unpleasant king who was just annoyed by other people not answering simple questions for him. And I'm here for that because he just feels like someone who's like, I just want a straight forward answer. Give me an answer and I will leave. Yeah, you sweet summer child. Bold prediction. Thank you. That's all you can really say. You can't say a lot. (laughs) Did you just say sweet summer child? Yes, I did say sweet summer child. Okay, I'm worried now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that does not... Okay, I'm scared. Anyway, so Arthur is now traveling through the woods and he comes across a Black Knight. And I'm like, yes, I know this scene. So the Black Knight is fighting a Green Knight. Who, fun fact, I do know this one. The Green Knight is played by the same guy who's playing Patsy. Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't know his name. I just know that they were the same person. Good job. So both are getting in some good hits. At one point, the Green Knight uses his mace, and the Black Knight is able to wrap it around his sword and throws the Green Knight to the ground. The Green Knight then runs at the Black Knight with an axe, and the Black Knight throws his sword and stabs the Green Knight in the head through the little eye slit, Mm -hmm. killing him instantly. Yeah, because, you know, that's how he rolls. <laughs> cool enough. I'm, I'm here for it. Like, Black Knight, great aim. Well done. Like I said, I do know this scene a bit because I have seen this scene specifically a couple times, but I didn't know exactly how everything played out in it. So Arthur and Patsy are watching this whole fight happen, and then they both approach the Black Knight. Arthur compliments the Black Knight on his fighting, and the Black Knight just stands guard across a path and doesn't say a word. Arthur is a bit confused of why the Black Knight won't answer, but asks him if he will join him at Camelot. Still nothing. Arthur says that he is sad and says, oh well, let's go. And just as they're about to go, Black Knight speaks and says, none shall pass. It reminded me of Gandalf. Arthur says that he has no quarrel with the Black Knight, but he does need to cross the bridge. Black Knight says that he shall die, and Arthur commands him to move. The Black Knight says that he will not, so they begin to fight. It is very clear very early that Arthur is the more skillful swordsman, and he chops off the Black Knight's arm. He's put to scratch. (laughs) I think something to note for this scene and even when it's the green knight fighting the black knight is they're very over the top and dramatic and incredibly like showcasing all their moves and stuff like that if you watch the fight scene between arthur and the black knight arthur barely moves he barely shows any effort whatsoever while the black knight is just going absolutely like balls to the wall as hard as he can uh played by the one and only uh, John Cleese, by the way, is the Black Does Knight. Does he also play Lancelot? He plays Lancelot. Okay. He also plays two other fantastic roles who are men- who are show up later. 
Okay, so we just haven't gotten to them. I just know that Lancel. I I've seen up to Lan like they've been introduced. So, but I've also heard his name more than a lot of the others, for some uh-huh. reason. So it just sticks in my head a bit better. Yes, I. We'll we'll get to the next scene that John Cleese plays another character in, but he's playing the Black Knight, and he's going balls to the wall hard, whereas Arthur's barely even trying. Arthur's not doing anything. So they continue fighting because the Black Knight will not surrender. And Arthur slices off the second arm. And like you just said, Arthur's not even trying. I also like how easy it is to slice a limb off in this universe. It's just like a paper cut is enough. Mm -hmm. I think think they're trying to bend more into the comedy at this point. Oh, yeah, 100%. So the more ridiculous it is, the better. It works so well. It's wonderful, (laughs) but it's also very silly. (laughs) So, and I like silly. I'm here for silly. So Arthur then claims victory and starts to pray. And the Black Knight comes over and kicks him in the head. Well, hang on, hang on. You've skipped over the best part. Oh, right. I did. I'm so sorry. No, I didn't. No, it happened. You have no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, it's just a flesh wound. (laughs) That happens right now after he gets kicked in the head. No, 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 no. That's before. No, he kicks him first. I just watched the movie earlier today. Don't make me pull up the clip on YouTube. I will not hesitate. Fine, pull it up because I'm pretty sure I'm right. And worst case scenario, I'm wrong or I get to prove you wrong. So uh, timestamp is about one minute, 47 seconds in the clip. You are right. I will gladly admit I was wrong. Let's go. that's right be sad i was right about your favorite film Woo! I was r- look i gotta take my victories on silly arguments when i get them but vengeance will be mine <laughs> i look forward to the day so <laughs> arthur was praying and then the black knight comes over kicks him in the head and then dylan <laughs> Uh, super I got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, just a flesh wound. There we go. That was very unenthusiastic. I already did it with a with a bunch of enthusiasm earlier. It's, mm. Fair enough, fair enough. This is why I'm not an actor. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. And he just continues to agonize Arthur. Arthur gets fed up and cuts off the Black Knight's right leg. The Black Knight still will not give up and says that he'll do him in for that. And the Black Knight yells, I'm invincible, and jumps into Arthur to try to, like, knock him over. <laughs> what are you going to do? Bleed on me? <laughs> I'm invincible! You're a loony. <laughs> <laughs> but also, when he jumped into Arthur, when he said, I'm invincible, it kind of looked like he wanted a hug, the way that his body hit Arthur's body, and it was like, come on, give me a hug, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no arms left. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have any arms left, so it's hard to tell. Maybe he wanted a hug. We don't know. Maybe. Arthur gets more fed up, chops off the last leg, and then the Black Knight looks at his body and is like, all right, we'll call it to draw. Perfect. Perfect writing. As they leave, the Black Knight's screaming, <laughs> Running away, Aya! <laughs> Running away, Aya! Oh, you yellow bastards, come back here and take what's coming to you. I'll bite your legs off. Yep. <laughs> How is he going to take off his helmet? Listen, these are not questions that we need answers. This is the Black Knight. I just need to see him biting someone's legs off. This is a 
god amongst men. No, no. I'm pretty sure he was just turned into a man. Considering he hadn't died yet? That's true. That man is God. No, well, we don't want to say that. That's blasphemous. <laughs> For all of you Christian listeners out there, that is not a stance we are taking. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't realize it. That's not what I meant. We're not using this platform <laughs> to sprout re religious belief. No, no, no. Um, None of that. I'm just here to say that that Black Knight has some special powers because he don't have any limbs anymore. But he's still yapping away. He must have gotten that scimitar. There we go. That sounds about right. So then we come into a town and everyone's banging their heads on boards and the villagers come into the town. They're all excited because they found a witch and they want to burn her. And the town leader asks, how do you know? And they're like, well, she looks like one. And by looks like one, they mean she has a long nose and the lady says that she is not a witch. So I was like, okay, Arthur is going to save the lady from this town from being burned for being a witch. I'm not sure how, but it will happen. May I interject for a hot second? Would you uh, like to know what the men bonking themselves with boards are actually saying? That would be great, because I had no idea. So, in Latin, uh, it is pie lesu domine, dona eis requiem, which translated to English is, dear Lord Jesus, give them rest. Okay. That is what they're saying while bonking themselves in the head with boards. And then we get to burning a witch. Medieval Europe, at its finest. <laughs> Lovely. So, the villagers admit to doing the nose and the hat and like dressing her up like that. And the town leader keeps asking the villagers like, okay, how do you know that she is a witch? Like, we just need to know for sure before we burn her. I'm not saying no, we just need to know. How do you know? She need to get to the bottom of this. And one guy is like, well, she turned me into a newt. Everyone's like, just very confused. And then he's like, I mean, I got better. <laughs> also played by John Cleese. Ah, lovely. Great, great. Everyone in this film, absolutely amazing in every role that they are playing. <laughs> I have no notes. Not <laughs> no that, notes. <laughs> not that I will probably ever have notes for anybody on this podcast. Because that's not my job, nor do I think that I can always do a better job. They got cast for a reason. So the villagers still want to burn her. And Arthur appears in the town, and I'm like, aha, there we go. See, he's going to be saved. The leader tells them that there are other ways to know that she is a witch. What do you burn witches with? So, yeah, what do you do with witches? You burn them. What do you burn apart from witches? More, More witches! witches! <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> you also burn wood. So, why do witches burn? Everyone is silent. No one can figure it out. Finally, Newt Boy over there is just like, uh, because they're made of wood. Wood. There we go. Very good. Very good. So the leader asks if wood sinks. The villagers say no. So they know by throwing her into the pond if the lady is a witch. And the leader's like, hold on, hold on. What also floats? We get bread, apples. Very small rocks. Cider. 
I've never had very small rocks float on a pond, have you? No. Uh, lead is also one that's mentioned. Lead, lead is mentioned. I don't know how lead or churches would work. Well, they're, they're peasants. They're, like they're, 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 got... they're comedically hamming Look, up the fact honestly, that they're stupid. Fair enough, but also in a slightly realistic way. Like, hey, they said about, what, eight different things and got five out of eight right? I mean, it's not bad. Bread floats for a bit, but once it gets wet, does it sink? I don't know. I've never left bread in water long enough to find out. All you scientists out there, test this out. Does bread float (laughs) until it gets wet? Tweet at Mark Rober. That's who we need on this mission. (laughs) How long can bread float? Or does bread float at all? No, I'm pretty sure it does. Well, no, I know bread crumbs do, but if you were to throw like an entire slice of bread out there, would it just float or would it sink? Again, tweet at Mark Rober. We need answers. So I love that the leader has to lift his visor on his helmet every time he wants to speak. <laughs> Sir Bedivere the Wise. Yes, we learned his name later on in the scene. So they continue guessing with all of these guesses, and Arthur finally chimes in and is like, a duck. And finally, the villagers get to the idea that if the lady weighs the same as the duck, then she is made of wood, and therefore, a witch. Yes. I did appreciate that Pedivier gave the villagers the chance to figure it out, and he looks so genuinely proud when the villagers get there. He's like, I feel good about this. Like, I helped them work through their problem and their word problem. Yep. It was just math. Well, more logic, but yeah. (laughs) So my prediction, somehow she's going to weigh the same as the duck. The villagers acquire a duck very quickly, head to the scales. They put the duck in one end. They put the lady on the other scale. And guess what? Whoop-de-doo, they weigh the same. And the villagers whisk away the witch. To burn. Yeah, that's the last we see of her. This is medieval England. They burned. They burned. I wasn't surprised about that. I just thought Arthur would do something. But no. No. He's a king. He wouldn't meddle in the affairs of peasants. He would much rather talk to the very intelligent knight. This is very true. So he goes over. He meets the knight. And he asks him if he will join him in Camelot. And the knight says, yes, this is where we... Learned that his name is Bedivere. Yes, Bedivere? Yes, Bedivere. Bedivere. Great. Uh, spelled yes. B-E-D-E-V-E-R-E. Lovely. I spelt it right in my notes. I'm very proud wow. of you. Okay. Thank you. I'm proud of myself. I normally spell normal words wrong. Wonderful. So, although my notes app does say that I have spelt it wrong, but jokes on them, I spelt it right. So... He is now Sir Bedivere, Knight of the Round Table. And he is Sir Bedivere, the Wise. B-E-D-V-E-R-E, yeah. Okay. I double-checked. Although the official spelling of the original character is with an I, but they spelled it with an E after the D because maybe copyright? Or some kind of, like, reason? Or maybe because it's parody, they uh, changed it slightly? It's very possible. I do not have an answer. Maybe they just can't spell. Maybe. Uh, honestly, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's pronounced the same. It doesn't really matter how you look at it. So 
we learned that Sir Bedivere was the first to join Arthur and that there were more to follow. Now, we're going to go over the rest of the knights that are joining him and then we'll wrap up the episode because we are reaching a bit over an hour at this point or close to an hour on recording. So we're going to permission, go permission over... to do the voiceover part of this. Like like the like listing off. Oh, you want to do it. The knights that were recruited. I would love to. This is fantastic. Sure. Before we get to that, can I describe the weird creature that was on Sir Bedivere's page? Sure. So, so in this book, it's called the book of the film. Straightforward book. Lovely. So there is this weird creature on the page as well. So like you see the scene of Sir Bedivere getting knighted. That's on the right-hand side of this book. And then on the left, this creature has a duck face, a snake-like neck, the body of an ostrich, but like elongated, and wings that make it so that it can like fly like a bird, and then a long tail that ends in a spade at the end. It is demonic and odd, and I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly interesting. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, I... Do you know what creature this is meant to be? Because if it's a dragon, it's a very weird dragon. I believe it's supposed to be a representation of what they consider like dragon or some kind of mythological creature, maybe like a chimera or something. It's it's not like it's kind of like those weird like how lots of different medieval books depict weird animals sure. because like they heard tales of a creature that they've never seen before that's gigantic with big ears and a long nose it's an elephant but then they like artist renditions of it are like vastly different from what the actual animal looks like fair enough so who knows or it might just be because they thought oh this looks stupid it's like it could be yeah. any reason that i don't have any insight on because i'm not a member of monty python why not, Dylan? Uh, because they were operating before I was born. That seems like a very good reason. Okay, so do you want to get into who the other knights yes. are? So after Bedivere's recruited, for everyone uh, listening, it goes back over through the book of the film, talking about the different knights who were recruited into the Knights of the Round Table. After Bedivere, uh, was followed by Sir Lancelot the Brave, Sir Galahad the Pure, and Sir Robin, the not-quite-so-brave as Sir Lancelot. And then it goes on to list some of his achievements, such as almost fighting the dragon of Agnor. He nearly stood up to the vicious chicken of Bristol. And he personally wet himself at the Battle of Badon Hill. And then it flips again to the aptly named Sir Not appearing in this film, and it's the head of a baby in a suit of armor. <laughs> it's fantastic the pictures are lovely and i would also just like to point out if you look at sir robin's pictures in each one he gets actively less visible in yeah. each picture <laughs> it's literally like a bunch of candid shots of him just being afraid <laughs> just trying to run away from taking the picture that is solely what it is yeah it's like it's like he's running from the cameraman <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I, I don't want to be here. <laughs> so together, we learned that they formed the band whose names and deeds were to be retold throughout the centuries 
the Knights of the Round Table. I would like to note that as that voiceover is happening, a monster's hand reaches out and snatches the human hand away from the book. Cool, that was my next note. Did you also see the bear paw or whatever it was? I thought it was like something like some kind of like gorilla hand or something. <laughs> sure, it's, it's, it's a very furry hand with black fur. That's what we got. Also, it was a male's voice doing the narration, but it looked like a woman's hand. Or it was just a guy with red nail polish. Mm -hmm. And the, I believe the narrator is Michael Palin, who plays Sir Galahad. Okay, very cool. And we will get to Sir Galahad in the next episode. We will learn more about him. But because we went on so many odd little tangents there in the middle. I will not apologize. <laughs> I will not either. It's, it's always fun. But yeah, is there anything else for what we have talked about so far in the film that you would like to add before we end this episode of Post Finale? No, not yet. I feel like a lot of the more fun things that I want to talk about are later. Okay, well, we have that to look forward to. Dylan, I know you're not really on social media so normally where i would ask guests if they want to give out their social media i'm gonna skip over that but is there anything you want to tell everyone that is listening buckle up buckaroos the next two episodes are gonna be wild and on that note listeners thank you so much for listening dylan thank you so much for being here and until next time i'll catch y'all later Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. I also run the social media. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison, and the art is by Jared Rother. If you would like to support the show and get access to loads of bonus content, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com postfinale, and all the money made from the Patreon will go directly back into the show to making it a better show. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PostFinalePod. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. Reach out and say, hey, you love movies or I've been trying to get you to watch movies. Check out this new podcast. Talk about us on social media or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever app you're using to listen to the show. All these things help and I appreciate every single one of you that has done this already or will do this in the future. But I'm just thankful that you joined in on this episode of Post Finale where we reviewed Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And be sure to join us next week as once again we go off the rails with Dylan Black as our guest as we continue our quest on watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And until then, I'll catch y'all later. <laughs>